Hi, LP here. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to ask for your patience with the audio quality. There was some glitch in our connection, but we thought that today's episode's message was much more important than any sonic irregularities. So please do your best to ignore the sound and focus on what our guest has to say. It's a super important episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much. Hello, and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today, the spotlight is on Hillary Gleason. Hillary joins us to talk about her work with Backline, a national 501c3 nonprofit that connects music industry professionals and their families with mental health and wellness resources. We discuss Hillary's personal journey, the genesis of Backline, and an upcoming event, Setbreak, which is Backline's first ever live stream fundraiser to support mental health in the music industry. Setbreak takes place on April 10th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time via the Relics channel exclusively on Twitch. Find more details and links in our episode notes. Light is a proud sponsor of Setbreak, and I hope you'll join us in supporting this worthy cause. If you or someone you know needs help with mental health and wellness, please visit backline.care and click the Get Help button for easy access to resources. And now, Hillary Gleason. Thank you for making time. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to see you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Where are you? I live in Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay. I'm I'm just up the road outside of Seattle. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's yeah. been beautiful here recently. It's been crazy, hasn't it? Like it's it's we were getting like a real spring. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um certainly good for my mental health to be able to be out walking. The, winter here is a little bit tough yeah especially when you're stuck at home and not traveling so I am grateful for the sunshine this week yeah it's been great it's been great um and how are you and yours is everybody okay like are you are you emerging from COVID are are you doing all right yeah everyone is okay um we are emerging from COVID most of my family is on their way to being vaccinated which is very exciting I got my first shot earlier this week Um, and I have a brand new nephew in San Francisco that I'm excited to be able to spend more time with here in the coming months. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I, uh, I have my second shot on the 15th, so. I'm on the 19th. Yeah. So getting back. We can get back together and celebrate afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, um, you know, I want to make sure that we leave plenty of time to talk about, um, backline and separate, of course. Um, but I would love to just start by talking a little bit about your background and the journey that led you um, to where you are today. So maybe we could level set and you could tell me a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and uh, you know what, what, uh, what is it that draws you to cause-related work and then these causes in particular? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Both of my parents are in the medical system at Duke and at UNC Hospital which I think has a lot to do with the cause-related work that I do now, Um, seeing them show up every day to do that um, for the better part of 40 years is pretty incredible role models that I had in my parents. Um, 
was in high school, I had to do an internship to finish my senior year. And at that time, I thought I wanted to be a brain surgeon. So (laughs) I interned with a brain surgeon at Duke um, that second semester of my senior year of high school. And after a couple of weeks uh, following him around the operating room and seeing some brain surgeries, he kindly let me know that he didn't think we were maximizing my internship because I was not in medical school, had not taken anatomy, and wasn't probably learning that much by seeing the surgeries. And at that point, you know, I could tell whether or not I wanted to be in the operating room and see blood and see brains and all of those things. Um, So after having that experience, he suggested that I help him out Uh, on a project that he had just started to conceptualize, which was a neurosurgical training program that he wanted to bring to Uganda. At the time, there were only three neurosurgeons in Uganda, and there are 25 at Duke and 20 more at UNC, about eight miles down the road. So the disparity between our access to neurosurgical care just in the research triangle of North Carolina was so much greater than the access across the entire country of Uganda. So he asked me to help him formulate what a program could look like, what a partnership would look like. Um, And together we started to buy back used medical equipment from Duke and ship it over to Uganda and started to bring teams there to set up the equipment and host neurosurgical training camps. I went to Uganda that summer between high school and college and within a couple days of being on the ground realized that I did not need to be a surgeon to have an impact in that kind of work. Um, And in fact, they needed someone like me around to make sure that everyone got on the bus in the morning and was fed lunch and all of those things. And so that really shaped the trajectory of my career and life. I went to college and instead of going pre-med, I went into global studies and Africana studies with community health education minor and really wanted to work in global health access and systems. My access to healthcare growing up was incredible. If I had any kind of injury, I'd basically be let in the back door at the emergency room at Duke and just recognizing the disparity between my access and the access of the patients that we were seeing in Uganda was really eye-opening for me. Um, and, And that cause continues to be so important to me and near and dear to my heart. We are 13 years into that partnership. We go twice a year. I have a whole family in Uganda at this point and, and feel so lucky to have found that cause very early in my life. That is what I wake up in the morning thinking about um, and missing my friends there. And, and I can't wait to go back. Uh, so understanding that I'm beginning to work in international nonprofits after college. I worked at uh, Global Health Corps, which is Barbara Bush's nonprofit, um, operates very much like Teach for America, but placing people in global health jobs. I worked at the UN Foundation and then at Global Citizen, um, which we'll come back to. But I've always had my cause and, and in conversations with friends and people across the music industry and in different industries, 
it became apparent to me that not everyone has had that moment in their life. And so I really see that as a big part of why I'm on the planet is helping people find a cause that truly resonates with them, that they think that they can make an impact in and be connected to and trying to help people find something that they want to be invested in for the rest of their lives. I really think that long-term change happens when we find a cause that truly resonates with us and that we can connect with. So I was at Global Citizen for several years, which um, is an incredible nonprofit that works on ending extreme poverty. Um, But they also have a wonderful event every year in Central Park. It's a 60,000 person music festival with world leaders and pop stars and tons of fantastic nonprofits. And that connection of music with advocacy and cause related work was a real game changer in terms of how I thought about my experience as a music fan and a music lover and this nonprofit world that I was operating in, in terms of my career. So when I left Global Citizen, I started a consulting firm called Level. Um, We launched in 2017 and we connect businesses and bands with nonprofit initiatives and help them build campaigns and messaging and connect actually with each other in a way that I haven't seen within the music industry outside of Global Citizen, um, which is really getting the nonprofit and let's say I'm working with a band, getting them truly connected, having them meet up in person or on Zoom, talk about the cause. We do service learning trips. We really drive to create this long-term engagement where people are invested in the relationships that they're building with one another. And then making sure that all of the campaign elements around that partnership are rooted in that authenticity of the relationship and that all systems are a go to make that as impactful as possible. So Level operates on a plug and play model with our clients where if they have a graphic designer on their team, great, they can do that. If they don't, my team can do that. Same thing with press um, and social media and all of these different elements of what that means to have a great nonprofit partnership. That experience uh, connected me far wider in the music industry than I had been before. I uh, am a huge music fan and have fallen into amazing communities of music fans and musicians and crew people. And so in the summer of 2019, two of my friends and musicians in my community uh, lost their lives to suicide. And following the second one in a series of two months, my community was called to action. Actually, the day after our friend Neil passed away, I got five phone calls in the same day that pretty much said the same thing, which is, what are we going to do to take care of one another in the music industry? This can't happen anymore. There needs to be a better way. And I recognized in that moment that I was not the only person having those conversations. And so my thought was that we could get everyone that I knew in the music industry, as well as all of the nonprofits that do serve parts of this mental health struggle, like Music Cares and Sweet Relief, and just get them onto a series of conference calls 
to talk about where we could lend our support, how we could create, you know, messaging within our communities around the resources that exist, and really what we could do to band together and say, we're going to take better care of one another, and we're going to make it overtly accessible to everyone. On those conference calls, it became clear that there was a bridge needed between the mental health care space and the music industry. And these great organizations that do serve the music industry each serve a different portion of it, um, whether that is financial assistance or help getting into substance abuse centers or whatever it might be. But there was no centralized resource to understand what was available to you um, and recognizing that the music industry has so many barriers to getting care. At the time, it was primarily a touring industry. So people were, you know, in the middle of Kansas on a tour bus. And if they needed help, it seemed a thousand miles away because they might be a thousand miles away from their home. And so our thought was to centralize all of the resources that exist and actually create a case management program where anyone in the music industry or their family members can come to Backline and say, I need help. I'm not sure what I need, or I want a therapist, or I want to start rehab. Where do I begin? And we do an initial assessment with them where we ask about their insurance status and their ability to pay and some of the things they may have tried in the past so that we can create a customized list of resources specifically for them. The way that we built it, I think, is, is really based in our own experiences in the music industry and what we wished existed for ourselves and for our friends and family members when they had been struggling. And that is where the magic of Backline really started is that it's all built by an incredible community of people that were on these conference calls saying that they were committed to making a difference and making mental health a priority in our industry. And so they have really done the work of carrying backline to where we are now, which is a pretty exciting place. And we'll, we'll dive into that when we get to the event. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a lot there I want to, I want to talk about. Um, But one of the things that you said was that, um, you know, you you referenced, uh, I think what most people would tend to initially think of, which is substance abuse as a problem. um, Maybe that, that has an outsized impact um, in the music or entertainment space. But I wonder if outside of outside of that very real issue, are there other issues that are unique or more prevalent within our industry that may be um, over indexes versus the general population? Absolutely, there are. Um, unfortunately, when we launched in October of 2019, there wasn't a ton of research to speak specifically to what that was, although you know, 73% of artists are more likely to suffer from anxiety or depression than the general population. That's one of the only statistics that existed at the time. What we were hearing, though, was anecdotally um, from these conference calls with 150 people on them, agents, artists, tour managers, you know, the whole gamut of people that work in the industry were barriers that were so nuanced. For example, the band model 
is much like a family, although you're working together. You have uh, financial involvement with each other like you do within a business, but you also live with each other in a very confined space for maybe 200 dates a year. And so if you are struggling with depression or anxiety, it can be hard to communicate with your band about what's going on for a myriad of reasons. And anecdotally, we had heard, I can't tell my bandmates what's going on because we have to play a show every night. And I don't want them to think that I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm having a bad day. I don't want people watching over my shoulder every time I pick up a glass of whiskey. I don't want to be watched through this process through such a magnifying glass, which a tour bus or a van can be. It can also be hard to communicate those things to a partner, spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, because they're not there with you on the road they're already worrying about you. There are so many factors that exist for a partner at home, whether they're dealing with childcare and essentially being a single parent for much of the time. And also you're traveling around the country, airplanes and buses and highways and all of those things are scary enough in themselves. So it can be hard to say to a partner, I'm struggling when you already have such a layered dynamic of missing one another and not being able to be together. So those are some of the things that we were hearing and and that I personally have experienced. I dated a touring musician for four and a half years and lived that lifestyle. And so while there was not a whole ton of research at the time, I lived it. So did these 150 other people on the call. And so we built out this based on those experiences. Now, last year in 2020, our partners at the Tor Health Research Initiative actually launched the largest study conducted on touring professionals as it relates to their mental health, as it relates to how much they drink on tour and the levels of stress that they feel. And the findings from that will actually be debuting on April 10th as part of our set break event. So I can't disclose those facts yet, but I can say that very soon we'll have a much better understanding in terms of data points of what is really going on in the industry, what people are struggling with, and how that compares to the normal population. Oh, that's terrific. That's terrific. Um, One last thing before we talk about Setbreak. You mentioned early on when um, when you went to Uganda that you said that you didn't necessarily, you discovered you didn't necessarily need to be a neurosurgeon to contribute. And you said, um, I saw that somebody like me could play a part. Um, what are you like? What, what is it about you that you recognized or that you, that you bring to these things? Tough question. <laughs> hey, and, you, you and brought it up. <laughs> and an exciting one. I've never actually been asked that. I... I'm extremely committed to anything that I do and I'm willing to go the extra mile. And that experience in particular required me to be very dynamic and quick on my feet and responsive to emergency situations, 
growing up in a medical household, I was able to quickly pick up the medical terms. Um, each neurosurgery has a specific you know, medical name for what they're doing. And, and I was very quickly able to learn those things and understand what drugs I was looking for at the store or how to communicate with the blood bank or anything like that. So part of it is being a quick study. Part of it is I don't take no for an answer very often. Um, but I do think that many of the skills that I have are, are that of a tour manager. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, standing in the hotel lobby and counting heads in the morning and seeing who's not there and picking up the phone and having their room number on my clipboard and all of those things. I mean, part of it is organization and the ability to keep a smile on your face despite not having very much sleep. And I see that in my friends that are tour managers. We see eye to eye on a lot of those qualities. Um, it's a selflessness that I have grown to understand really through my relationships with the people in Uganda. It's never about who we are as a person. It's always about what we're doing for our community and how we show up. So you have to be able to let things fall as they may, um, brush your shoulders off, get back up and, and commit to the cause. So I learned so much in that two week period about myself and continue to find inspiration in all of the people that were a part of that and continue to be a part of that program. Okay. That's a long answer to a good question. <laughs> no, that's, that's very helpful. And actually I lied. I have one other question before we talk about uh, set break. Um, when you were, when you were describing level and the work you do at level, uh, what I wanted to get a little bit better of an understanding was, is um, like, what's the, what's the, uh, the problem level solves or the need it fills the, where I, the assumption I was making was that um, it almost sounded a bit like a branding agency where brands don't know how to interface with artists. And so the analog that came to mind for me was causes and nonprofits um, don't necessarily know how to connect with artists or artists don't know how to fully engage with you know, something they're passionate about. Am I on the right track, wrong train? Like, is that anything in the universe? That's it. Having relationships on both sides of that equation within the nonprofit space and within the music space, I primarily deal with both businesses and bands within the music space. Um, we speak different languages. Nonprofits are tend to write emails in a completely different way and have a very different list of needs than music industry emails, which tend to be very short and to the point, kind of got a spoon feed on either end. And so there was a need for somebody who understands how to speak both of those languages and translate. The other part being is that most of the time, the nonprofits that we're working with are small and impactful, very programs based. So they don't have an artist relations person on their team. They don't have the bandwidth for that. Same thing within the music industry. Don't come across that many bands that have a CSR component of what they do. 
So to have somebody to step up and say, this is what I do. I will focus on this work. I will make sure that everyone shines in this and that we are able to raise a bunch of money or create a lot of good in the world through service or learning. That is the difference is somebody stepping to the plate and saying, this is my job. This is what I focus in and I'm committed to making it be great for everyone. And partnerships in general are really difficult. It takes a level of commitment from everyone to make them successful. And so to have that be my primary role makes a difference in how they land and the work that is done at the end of the day. Yeah. And is level is level your day job essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is. I have a few account managers now who do the day-to-day work. Backline has really grown so quickly that I'm required to also have that be my day job. Um, <laughs> so both of my teams at Level and Backline understand that everything that I do is important to me and I need their help in making sure that the ball isn't dropped on either end and that I can, you know, be across of everything without having to be in a granular level on anything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to set break. Um, talk about the genesis of that, if you will. I, uh, you know, I'm on a lot of calls, conversations, um, dialogue with people, you know, during the sort of COVID time of, um, it seems as though artists have been asked to do a lot in terms of whether it's supporting their crew or their, you know, the, the venues that they came up through or what have you. So, um, it seems like on the one hand, um, artists are being asked a lot, but on the other hand, it does seem like the artistic community has really, has really stood up, uh, through the election cycle, through COVID, uh, through the aftermath of the George Floyd murder. It's, it's been very, it's been very, you know, encouraging and exciting to see the artist community so engaged. Um, I wouldn't say surprising, but certainly surprising in such a short amount of time of how much has been asked and how many people do show up and the diversity of people that are showing up. It's not the same names over and over. Um, so with all that sort of preamble on my part, um, could you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about the genesis of Setbreak and what it is you're hoping to, to do? Yeah, Setbreak is our upcoming live stream event on April 10th on Twitch. We are super excited about it as it will be the first time that we are really bringing backline to the center stage Mm. for that moment in time. We have been primarily grassroots up until this point, but had a very different budget projection for 2020 than we ended up landing with, as many people across the music industry did. Um, In January of 2020, we had worked out partnerships with venues and bands and all sorts of different partners to give us a dollar per ticket or a portion of merchandise or whatever that looked like to show their support for the work that we're doing around mental health in the music industry. In March, all of that fell apart while our services became more important than ever. The music industry was already in crisis prior to the pandemic as it related to mental health. And the pandemic 
really magnified that for musicians and crew people and their family members. I mean, such a huge shift in lifestyle. We actually launched support groups in March of last year that meet on Zoom for music industry professionals and their families to come and talk in a safe space about what is going on. And the things that we were hearing in those support groups I've never lived with my wife before. Uh, You know, I don't know who I am without having an audience to connect with. These very real, very specific challenges that were really upsetting and, and changing people's identity of who they are, what they do, not to mention the financial insecurity that was felt across the industry. The the pandemic created a serious, serious issue in terms of mental health, where every single person in the music industry was all of a sudden experiencing a mental health crisis. Backlines numbers of people submitting to our programs quadrupled last March. They have continued to go up since then. We are seeing people every single day that need services and are not able to pay for them. This both makes us feel so grateful to be in the position that we are to meet this industry with services to be able to support people through this process let them know that they're not alone that we are here to help that that we're experiencing this collectively but we also need to fund backline and make sure that we can continue to grow internally so that we can meet this this need and the live stream events have been so incredible over the past year um We've seen everything from what Live for Live Music has been doing with Quarantine Comes Alive and Georgia Comes Alive. Uh, The Tibet House concert recently on Mandolin was absolutely amazing. There have been so many charity moments. But what we're doing with Set Break is really for the music industry by the music industry saying, if you have felt this way in the past year and you are able to support this, whether it's through a performance or a PSA, it can help someone else. And that person might be your crew person or that person might be a security guard at a venue that you can't wait to go back and play. And so it's a really incredible opportunity to be supporting your own community and to be a part of, you know, shining this light and saying, I've been there. If you're there right now, I've got you. And we believe in in the work that Backline is doing and want to see this funded to the point where they can grow and serve every single person in the music industry. And that's really what we're up against is the need continues to grow. Backline has to grow in step with that. And so that was the call to action around set break is help us bring this to scale. Um, And we're very excited about all of the people that have heard that call and stepped up to be a part of this. It's going to be pretty mind blowing. Yeah. Well, I want to ask a couple of specific questions about the event, but there's something you said that really resonated for me personally, which is um, there's been times throughout the pandemic where 
I have thought of people like that. Like I, I'm, I, I don't want to uh, call anybody out or identify them. So I want to be careful how I say it, but let's just say like support personnel um, or people who work at hotels that I've been going to for 25 years that I, I, every time I see them, it's like seeing an old friend and I don't know them outside of that context, but I've wondered how they are um, over the, this last year. Will they be back? Um, you know, how did, how, how are they making it through and what's their employer doing for them? And um, there are so many people that go into, um, you know, any of us who, who, who are not on stage understand what it takes to get those moments to happen. And it's okay that, you know, the public and the fans don't necessarily see or, or know all that they're actually not supposed to, but there is, there are so many people that, um, that this industry relies on supports is supported by, um, it's really incredible um, when you think about just the sheer numbers of, of souls that are involved. Um, so talk a little bit about the event. Are these going to be pre-records? Are they live performances? Who are some of the talent that, that, that's involved? Live performances from all over the country, which has been very fun to put together um, wow. and figure it out. We will be live from the Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville, Tipitina's in New Orleans, tons of different home setups. We are, I get giddy when I talk about the lineup. Um, some of my favorite acts of all time, like Los Lobos and Bob Weir are on the lineup. I'm like a classic rock kind of gal. Um, and then Alanis Morissette blows my mind to be able to say that. Yeah. Leon Bridges, Dawes, Deertick, Grandson, and Morgan, and Sarah Kays, and this whole group of younger musicians that our team has brought to the table. We have DJ Millie, who's going to be doing like a, a long form live set, and she has saved my quarantine with these Millie Monday shows that she's been doing on Instagram. So it's such a diverse group of people, just where they're tuning in from, the kind of music that they play. It's pretty incredible to see that this has grown beyond, you know, the musicians in my direct community of sort of jam, rock, bluegrass, and funk, and now includes hip hop artists and pop artists. And it's the first time we've put out an all call like this in terms of everyone should support this. And we're going to ask artists from across the industry to do that. And to, so to see the response come back and the people who have been so excited to lend their support to this is absolutely incredible. We yeah. could not be more excited. Yeah. I have to ask, do you see, a, um, are, is there any kind of a generational um, difference between how artists uh, approach either asking and seeking uh, help with mental health and wellness or discussing it publicly, you know, is, is, ha have these issues um, lost stigma? Is it easier now? Like, is, is there, is there anything we could hang our hat on there and say, you know, it's, it's not like it was even 10, 15, 20 years ago, or, you know, what's the fear level? How, how, can you talk about that at all? Yeah, 
it's been so destigmatized over the past two to three years. An incredible shift has happened in the music industry where you can talk to anyone in the music industry about mental health now. And whether it's someone who's 71 and has been playing for, you know, 50 something years or somebody that's 21, hey, can we talk about mental health in the music industry? Or do you want to be a part of this? It's almost always, yep, yes, we can talk about that. Because for the older generation, many of them have lost beloved members of their touring communities, crew members, fellow artists. You know, this crisis has been going on as long as modern music has. You look at these artists in the 27 Club, those are are part of what we're talking about here, right? Substance abuse and depression and all of that. It's been around for a really long time. It may have not been named. Those deaths may have been labeled as tragic um, as opposed to directly related to mental health. But hindsight is twenty twenty, and and you you can see exactly what that is. And the younger generation now, you know, Gen Z, um, have, have completely changed the game. They're on TikTok talking about mental health and anxiety every single day. And many of the musicians from that generation are able to write songs with no nuance to them, talking directly about their experience with eating disorders, with anxiety, with abuse. And the response of that generation on social media is so incredible to watch them be able to talk to their fans directly about these things is I think creating a a huge paradigm shift for society. Certainly, you know, therapy and some of these issues, intergenerational trauma, all of that are hard to talk about for an older generation, but we don't see that in the music industry quite as much. And I think everyone is ready to have these conversations and is, you know, uncomfortable, sure, but understanding of the need for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your, what's, I guess, what is the goal or what's the, what's the, what's the thing you need and want set break to accomplish and um, what's the ask of the fan community? Sort of, is this a buy a ticket? Is this make a donation? Is this spread the word? Like, what's the what's the thing there that that set breaks mission is? It is spread the word. Tune in. It's a free event, and if you're able to make a donation, yeah, uh, there are a lot of different ways that people will be able to support our efforts whether that is making a traditional donation, buying a piece of merchandise, participating in our auction. We also have a cool partnership that I'm excited to share with an app called Sweatcoin, which tracks your steps. And then you can actually make sweat coins, which are a form of currency and donate them to charities that you care about. So I have 
95 sweat coins in my bank right now that I can donate to backline. And I've just logged them by walking around my neighborhood for my daily quarantine walks. So Hmm. even for people who can't necessarily make a traditional donation, they can download this app, get walking, make donations to backline in that way. And it's really cool to be able to provide, you know, tons of opportunities to support backline but also tuning into the show in itself will create a ripple effect in our society. I truly believe that because we're going to get to see some of our favorite artists actually talking about their own mental health struggles. And that is so powerful, you know, especially over the past year, mental health has really come to the forefront of conversations. We have all been challenged. um, But we've also always turned to music for, you know, hope in hard times. If I'm having a hard day or whatever that moment may be, you put on an album or playlist and you get some sort of energy from music. And so to be able to connect actually with artists around these things that they have been providing us hope through and recognizing that they are also struggling. It's a really humanizing experience. And I think that, you know, outside of the work that backline is doing that is specific to the music industry, we're also breaking down barriers between artists and fans and, and connecting all of us on a human level. And I'm really excited for that narrative to shine through next Saturday. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask if uh, this episode's going to hit a few days before the event. And so if somebody's listening to this and they're so inspired, where could they go before the event if they want to contribute? You can go to our website, backline.care. Great. And there's a donate button or something they can find there? There's donate buttons there. There are links out to the event website with all of the artists. We are announcing a second round of artists on Monday of next week. So you could see all about those people on the website and um, tons of other things that we do live on the website. So I encourage everyone listening to go check it out and, and to tune in on the 10th. Well, I have to ask you this. Um, we're airing on Tuesday. So can you tell us any of the artists that will have been announced the day before? <laughs> I would love to. Um, because I'm so proud to say that Tom Morello is going to be participating. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Uh, as is Wyclef and Old Dominion. And right there, you've got three totally different genres all coming together around the same cause. Um, we also will have participation from Yola, who is one of my favorite artists. Last show I saw before the pandemic was Yola appear in Seattle. Fantastic she's, night of music. She's incredible. And for me as a music fan and somebody from the nonprofit world, I never really thought I would be working in music. So booking this event is a trip for me. I'm like, oh, what about Yola or what about Tom? And I'm kind of shooting at the moon on some of these things. So to get a yes back that they care about this thing that I have been working on so hard for the past 18 months, like 
you can maybe see, and for those of you listening might be able to hear in my voice, it moves me to tears. <laughs> it is so powerful um, for the organization to know that the work that we're doing is appreciated and understood by the community that we're serving. And for me personally, like, coolest experience of my life in so many ways that's amazing um is the show schedule posted yet or will people be able to know before the event because i i have to make sure i get to at least see los lobos yes we are going to post this schedule probably on thursday okay um and it will be on the website and across our social media at backline.care so it will be available and yeah, it's going to be a long event. It's looking like nine or 10 hours. So wow. the schedule is an important part so that you can see when you have to be tuned in and catch Wyclef or Leon Bridges or whoever it is that, that you can't wait to see. Yeah, that's super exciting. Well, we'll make sure that um, we link to the website, all your socials and all that stuff from the episode notes. So people will be able to get all the information, make a donation and all that fun stuff. So um, thank you, Hillary, for making time. And thank you for all of your work. Yeah, thank you. I do have to note, this is kind of a full circle moment as Light was one of my consulting clients with Level. Um and your team has been so supportive of everything we've done with Backline and um, are sponsoring the event. So it, it feels really nice to be able to spend some time with you and chat about the event in more detail. And I do have to say thank you so much for all of the support that, that you all have shown. It, it makes a difference, I can tell you. Well, thank you. We're, we're grateful for, for the opportunity to, to be part of this. And um please keep the, keep the focus on that side of the microphone. Don't, don't talk about it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much, Hillary Gleason and the team at Backline and Setbreak. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, even send us a message by visiting our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. Join us again next week. In the meantime, be safe and stay in touch. Stay in touch.